0: You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. You there? There we are. I turned it on mute myself. Hey guys, great to be with you guys this morning. My name's Ryan. I serve as a lead pastor here at the church. Uh, Those of you guys that are brand new, uh, welcome. We're glad that you guys are here. Next week is going to mark our uh, fall kickoff. And so, as you have seen, is uh, we're going to be debuting an exact replica cross that we had built by Arizona businessmen and people in the community uh, to really, it's really interesting, we closed on the property on September 9-11, and so um, this serves as a, a day of, of redemption in many ways, and reality is, is every single one of us face a ground zero in our life when kind of the world stops turning. And this is going to be a great opportunity, so I want to encourage you to invite a friend and neighbor uh, next week to our fall kickoff. Uh, We are in a teaching series called North Valley. We're going to wrap up uh, the first four chapters of Acts chapter 4. If you would, go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, This is a memory verse that I'm encouraging you to memorize this year. It'll be our theme verse uh, for our church. Pray this prayer, this prayer. verse over your marriage, over your life, over your, our church, over our community. And let's read this out loud together. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, work through your word, encourage the heart, motivate the mind, inspire our intellect, and do uh, a great work upon us even as we open your word here this morning. Uh, You you go before us, you come behind us, you are presently here. Thank you for the power and the presence of Christ to transform a movie theater into a place of worship. In Christ's name, everybody said, amen. We're in Acts chapter 4 and... I want to get straight to work in the text this morning. We are going to be seeing the church is incredibly generous, and uh, and the Christians are incredibly generous. Uh, Jesus Christ has been uh, crucified, he's been buried, and he's risen again. He's called the church in to uh, start a, He's called the believers, the twelve apostles, to start a church. They did. The Spirit of God poured out on them, and the church has taken an expansive and explosive growth. And this morning, what we're going to see is part of the reason why it, it moves so rapidly throughout the Roman Empire is their crazy generosity. Um, I call it crazy because it doesn't. In the Old Testament, they gave financially to what's called tithe, the tenth percent, and a ten percent of all gross income. And here, you're going to see that this church is incredibly gracious and generous with their resources and their finances. They get far above and beyond that. Uh, much of that is due to there was a the early Christians were facing persecution, and so the community really needed to pull together and to contribute and to serve and to help. Uh, they suffered. Economic loss because as a Christian, you couldn't get a job quite as easy as you could if you were a Jew. So they were doing classic discrimination in the first century BC, and there was in the Roman Empire kind of this uncoolness factor to being a Christian. And and I said last week uh, there's a lot of uh, similarities between Rome and America here today. But here's what I want to show you Let's look at Acts chapter four, verse thirty-two. I want to highlight to you some characteristics of a generous church and a generous Christian. It says, "Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart soul, and no one said and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own." In other words, they believed in sharing. As Elmo says, "It uh, sharing is caring." My my kids uh, uh, don't watch Elmo anymore. They're 11 years old. But, you know, sharing is uh, something that uh, as kids and parents, we teach our kids. And in the church, it's called generosity. So they... They gave to anyone who had need, but they had everything in common. What's interesting to me is they experience a supernatural unity. Um, I think North Valley has a supernatural unity. I mean, it's interesting to me as I look at and study the early church and see the diversity in their economics. There's poor people, there's rich people, uh, much sounding like North Valley. Here at North Valley, we have economic diversity. We have folks here that make six-figure uh, incomes. And then we have people here that are struggling to get six meals on the table every single week. We have political diversity at this church. Uh, We have Republicans, we have Democrats, and we have an increasing number of independents. You're with me. I'm glad you're with me. We have generational diversity, millennials, Gen Xers, boomers, busters. We have athletic diversity. We have Cardinal fans, we have Broncos, we have Viking fans, and God bless, or God help us, we have Seahawk fans. (laughs) If you were at one of our services uh, in January, it was really interesting. I had a friend of mine, uh, Pastor Mark Driscoll, come and preach, and I gave he and Grace and the family a bunch of Cardinals jerseys. And I said, Mark, my only concern for you coming into the city is that you don't make the transition from Seahawks to Cardinals fan. One bird for another, Seahawk Cardinal, become a Cardinal fan. So we gave him jerseys. And after service, he said, Ryan, you really made that awkward for me because in the front row was one of the coaches from the Seahawks. <laughs> and he used to serve as one of their chaplains. I thought that was funny. I said, well, the test is on, buddy. You're in Arizona now. So uh, here's what we saw it's experienced supernatural unity. Uh, look at what it says in verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ as Lord. They're preaching. Satan wants to silence the witness. God's plan is, is for you to speak up, for the church to not remain silent, but just share and show the love of Christ. These guys were doing that. They were incredibly generous and they were brave. They had great grace that was upon them all. Let's all say that together. They had great grace. That was upon them all. Two things I want to point out in that verse is that generosity fueled mission. In the first, uh, in the next 200 years in Roman history, what we're going to see is that in every single province and in community within the Roman Empire, there will be Christians that they are moving forward in incredible numbers. Uh, this church is experiencing expansive and explosive growth, I would say much due to this generosity mentality that the greater grace that they receive, the greater their generosity is. I think there's a direct correlation in how much grace you receive, the more generous you are. We need generous people in the world. If you said to me, um, Ryan... Um, I'm looking for a, a, marriage, a marriage partner, um, and, and I said to you, great, what are you looking for, a generous person or a greedy person? You would say a generous person. If you're looking to hire an employee, you wouldn't be looking for a greedy person, you'd look for a generous person. If you were to make friendships with other people, what kind of friend would you want? Would you want somebody greedy or would you want somebody generous? See, generosity is a very, it's an irresistible influence, It's an irresistible influence to the people around you uh, when we can become more and more contributors to society rather than takers. And it's interesting, this great grace was upon them. Look what it says there. It says, and great grace was upon them all. I want to read to you this letter of a guy in our church uh, who wrote this to talk about the great grace that he's experienced at North Valley. Dear Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Ryan, Pastor Ian, I just wanted to say thank you on August 20th in 2016, By the grace of God, I will have one year of continuous sobriety. It's hard to put into words. You can celebrate that. Go ahead. It's hard to put into words how you guys have played a part in my recovery and my journey. And I can truly tell you, I would not be here today if it wasn't for certain members of the church and Pastor Jonathan, who continue to reach out to me in my darkest moments. I have found a place of grace and I call North Valley home. Isn't that great? You know, the truth is, is that the church ought to be a place of grace and the church here in the New Testament is a place of grace. Look what it says in verse 34 through 35, that generosity is just kind of a normal thing that happens there. It's not extraordinary, it's normal. And for our church to become the church that we need to become, we need to see that the greater level of grace that we receive should motivate and encourage our generosity. These guys are giving far beyond a 10% tithe. They're giving everything they have to help serve and strengthen the community. Now, granted, in context, these guys are going through persecution. But what if you were there? What if you were back in the first century and you saw friends that couldn't get jobs because they're being persecuted? What would you do? Would you be generous? Would you sacrifice? Would you give to help support other people? Look what it says. Verse 34, it says, there was not a needy person among them, meaning the poor and the needy, the widows, everybody, anybody that had need, the church community pitched in. For as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them, they brought the proceeds that was sold and they laid it at the apostles' feet. That's an incredible sign of trust saying, church leaders, you distribute these finances as you decide to and it was distributed as, as any had need. Here's the point. Crazy generosity became cool and normal thing. You know, I like to say, I'm bragging just for a moment, but when we, our, um, when we did our strategic initiative to purchase nine acres of land on Joe Max and I 17, many people said, you're not going to be able to do it. The church is too small, and you've got too many young people in your church. And I, you know, because supposedly, you know, millennials don't give a whole lot, but you know what? 90% of all that strategic initiative came from millennials. So here's what's going on at North Valley. This is a place of grace. And many of you received the grace of God and you extend the grace of God through your generosity. And in the early church, crazy generosity became a cool but normal thing. Crazy, generous Christians, what we see is, look what they say. They say, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He uh, was a gentleman that uh, had a common name, and they renamed him son of encouragement. He was an encourager. Two things about Barnabas, he lifted people up. When we look at uh, generous Christians, what they do is they lift others up, and they lay themselves down. They lay themselves down because they know it's not about them. You know, there's a lot of people at our church that have been laying themselves down. When we did this strategic initiative uh, to purchase the property... We had a lot of people that just served uh, and gave their lives away to help serve. And one of the early guys was Tommy and uh, his, now wife, his new, new wife, uh, Elizabeth, and they've served our church tremendously. And there's a number of others that have served the church in numerous ways to serve and sh- lay down their lives for the better of this church called North Valley. I want to just take a moment to share about people that have laid down their lives. David and Lori Spritzer they served faithfully in our church and set up driving trucks and trailers, donating time on the tractor to clean up the campus, building the cross, donating air conditioners for our buildings. Nick and Crystal McGriff have laid down their lives uh, to teach kids and run A.V. and set up. And Andy and Michelle Branch have opened up their homes and their hearts for kids and neighborhood groups. And all the anonymous givers, all of you that have contributed financially, you're like the Barnabas. You're the encourager. You are lifting others up and you are laying yourselves down the other, uh, the anonymous givers that gave far above and beyond the regular tithes and offerings to help us purchase that property. Uh, you know, what's interesting is that the church grows and thrives from people whose names will never be in the lights. That's how the church grows. That's how this church grew in the New Testament. They grow because uh, people's names, they don't seek to be in the limelight. They don't want to be on the main stage. They're unsung heroes. They're backstage servants. They're ordinary people serving God in simple and practical ways, like holding open the doors, handing out programs, making the coffee, setting up, tearing down guest services, greeting people, hospitality. You know, you can judge a lot by a church by how friendly they are on a Sunday morning playing in the band, doing incredible worship. Isn't, aren't these guys doing fantastic? I mean, they're just doing awesome. <laughs> Running sound, teaching kids, hosting neighborhood groups, cleaning up. I mean, there's a number of things. I wanna tell you a story about a man that was incredibly generous to me, my father, uh, Dr. Robert Rice, he's a leading psychiatrist in, in uh, Arkansas. I wanna show you a picture of the Rice Ranch. Uh, when we started the strategic initiative to purchase nine acres of land, I went back home, and you can see uh, my father has a, a large amount of land there in Arkansas, and it goes a lot further back in that. And those, there's a lot of trees, something we don't see a lot in Phoenix. Uh, <laughs> And uh, we cleared out those pastures when I was a younger kid, and so I grew up on this ranch, and my dad had willed us a lot of land. And my brother, uh, Rob, and my uh, younger brother, Dave, they built their cabins and their houses on the property. They live there today. And when we started the strategic initiative, I I told uh, Leslie, and we sat down and prayed about it, and we said, we got to go all in. We got to give everything we've got in order to get that property. And you know and I know, sweetie, that we're never going to go back to Arkansas, so what are we going to do? So we went all in. We had a conversation with my dad, and my dad said, there's no way we're going to split up the property. Uh, Rob Rob likes to, you know, shoot his bow, and he doesn't want some strange neighbor living right there where your old lot was. And, uh, you know, so we had the conversation with dad, and the business in Little Rock wasn't going as great as he would want it. He was actually uh, not taking a paycheck, and he was paying his staff and his employees. And uh, he said, "This comes at a hard time, but basically, what if I'm hearing you right, Ryan? You want to cash out and you want your inheritance so you can give it to the land and buy the buy, or give it to the church and buy that campus." And I said, "Yeah, that's that's right." And he said, "Well, I, I didn't intend to do it like that, and it comes at a really hard time. Came out here, visited the property, saw the campus that we were building, working on, saw all of you, and saw how the grace of God was great." And he said, well, let me have a conversation with your wife and the the boys, and we're going to pray about it, and we'll see what we can do. And a few weeks later, I got a check in the mail that was a large sum of money. And my dad wrote me this note from his office, and he's a psychiatrist, and it says, prescription to NVCC. Here's the prescription, win souls and change lives. And then he says, and let the refills be forever. You know, my dad's an encourager. Yeah, we can celebrate that. My dad's an encourager, and, you know, generosity flows through him. Here's what we see in the early church is these guys are generous. And here's what we see in our church. You guys have been generous. And what to, to move forward, I want to encourage you um, that what we see in the Scripture is that these guys had a tremendous amount of trust. Look what it says in verse 37, that that Barnabas, he sold a field and belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. There is, these guys are all in. They have a trust in the leadership all around, you know. It's really important, you know, for us to move forward as a church. Again, if you're brand new and you're here and you're like, man, we're teaching on giving. Yeah, we are because it's in the Bible. I teach on giving about eight to ten times a year um, because giving something, God doesn't just want your your heart, your soul, and your mind. He also wants to use your money uh, to accomplish his purposes. So why were these guys so generous? Why was the church so generous? Why was this guy named Barnabas so generous? Number one, they understood that everything is already God's anyways. They understood the sovereignty of God. It says in Acts 4.24, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They understood that everything in the earth is God's. They understood that everything in the sea was God's. They understood that everything in heaven was God's. Uh, In Haggai, they would have understood this uh, prophetic text from the prophet Haggai, who says, the silver and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. God owns everything. Here's the point. We are his money managers, not his CEO. You know, um, we can really take a lot of possessive ownership and say that, you know, this is mine, God. But the way the early Christians understood it in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, that everything belonged to the Lord, Paul will later write and say, Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and His Holy Spirit lives within you? Do you not know that you were bought and paid for for a price? So glorify God's in your bodies. You know, in my household, I've said this before, but I never preach in the pulpit what I don't first teach at the table. Uh, The Bible teaches that we're like stewards, we're managers, not his CEO. And God wants us to trust him with his ways of doing things financially. Um, God's plan for money management, I like it to call it the 10-10-80 rule. And it means that you give 10%, you save 10%, and you spend 80. Now, initially, you think 10%, that's a lot. That's a lot that I got to give to God. Well, the Bible teaches actually that everything is already God's. That every single gift that you have, every talent that you have, every relationship, everything comes from God, is from God. He made it all. It's all his. And then what he's looking for is he's looking for people to manage and to steward. And so it changes in Christian perspective and even in Old Testament perspective. It changes how we view materialism and possessions. And God's after the attitude and the action. We are His money managers, not His CEO. I'd encourage you, if you've not started a plan like this, do this. Give 10%, save 10%, spend 80%. Um, this morning, what I want to do is walk through some passages of Scripture to help you understand what it looks like to steward your money uh, according to God's plan. And again, I, I teach this about 8 to 10 times a year about how to manage your money. And I think it's really important uh, because it gives us an opportunity to how to do it right. Here's what it says. God's, I want you to learn this principle, this point. God's Old Testament policy and New Testament principles are really clearly in Scripture. In Malachi, most clearly given for the tithe, the idea of 10% of all your gross income, in Malachi says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. The tithe would have been 10% of the gross income for the believers, the Israelites in the Old Testament. And this comes at a time when really they were not trusting God. God was blessing them, and he wants to use the nation of Israel as a light unto the nations. And he's saying, and I want to pause real quick. We have to take things into a literal, historical, grammatical context to understand. This was 2,500 years ago, and it's before the time of Christ, and God is calling upon a people to trust Him with everything they have. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Why? So that there may be food in my house. For what? And thereby, He says, put me to the test, says the Lord, and see if I'll not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Um, a couple of things is the Israelites were challenged. They were to be a light unto the nations. If they're going to be a light unto the nations, they got to take care of the spiritual needs, but also the physical needs. They needed to be people that are generous to contribute and help those who had need. Now, it says, put me to the test. It's really interesting to me because in this passage, a lot of people will take that passage and say, just put God to the test. Here's the deal. This, this phrase, put me to the test, testing God in your giving, it only occurs one time in Scripture. I like to tell people, when you see something that's uh, mentioned maybe just one time, you've got to be careful in how you apply that. Principally, what I would say is, you never make major what's minor in the Bible. So if it's mentioned one time, and then in other places it says, don't test God, then you ought to be really, really careful, right? So he says, put me to the test. Why was he saying that to the Israelites? He was saying that because they were greedy people. They were not trusting God. They wanted more from God and God saying, I will bless you. You have to trust me, but I'm going to, I want you to test me in the area of giving and see if I will not pour down from heaven. Notice it says pour down from heaven. That's where all the blessings, all the resources flow from. You think that every, all the resources come from earth. No, it comes from heaven. God makes it and he says, I can pour this down for you. Old Testament policies for generosity. Let's look. There's three different tithes. There's the Levitical tithe. There's the tithe of feast, And there's the tithe to the poor. This could have meant that uh, in a given year, there'd be a total tithe required. It could be up to 30% in a given year. That's a lot of money. In the Old Testament, these guys are challenged, what? To be a whole light to the entire, all the nations. A nation among the nations. Why? The Levitical priests were the ones that did the uh, ministry, they were the ones that served as priests, uh, and they would serve God in their uh, sacred duties. The tithe of the feast was to uh, incorporate cele- uh, celebrations and ceremonies to, for throughout redemptive history. The tithes to the poor were to take care of the poor. In fact, they, the farmers were challenged to leave portions of their field um, unharvested so that the poor could simply walk by and then take it as they needed. In the New Testament, they don't operate under policies. It operates under generosity. A lot of people would say, good, I'm so glad because I don't want the strict policy. I agree. You know, at North Valley, what I tell people is that we are a policy uh, light church and a principle heavy church. Principles are more powerful because it gives freedom and flexibility. Some of you could afford to give a lot more than 10% and some of you just can't. Here's what the Bible says about New Testament principles for generosity. It needs to be willing and cheerful. It needs to be a regular pattern of life. It needs to be generous, proportionate to one's ability. It needs to be sacrificial. It needs to be sacrificial. You know, and Jesus used the illustration of the woman who uh, gave two copper coins, and he said she gave all that she had, and it was a beautiful thing. And her, her act of generosity went down in history. Here's my point, and I teach at the table with our kids, is in light of God's best, meaning God's given us the best through Christ, why would we give him less? In light of God's best, meaning he gave us, now we have the Holy Spirit. Now we have Christ, the Redeemer, the Messiah, which Israel waited thousands of years for. And they're giving not 10%, not 20, but up to 30% in a given year. Why would we give God now, less than 10%. Ten, 10% tithe is a floor, not a ceiling. I think if, for some of you, you think, man, that's really challenging. I would encourage you to principally think about it like this, is that God's after the heart. He doesn't just want your, 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 your money, He wants your mind. He doesn't just want your sin, He wants your soul. He wants everything about you. Why? Because he owns everything. And there's a truth and principle in Scripture that when you do things God's ways, things just tend to go better. Um, you know, recently I had a conversation with my kids, and uh, we are paying them out an allowance. And I said to my kids, hey, look, we have a generosity jar. You can give above and beyond your regular tithes, offerings, whatever. And the other day there was a conversation with the kids, and one of the kids said, you know, I don't really want to give 10%. I said, why not? And they said, well, and then I can't get that video game. And I said, hey, I know it's tough to trust God with that. Um, this morning, as I'm talking to you about the issue of tithing and giving, I, I hope that I want you to hear, uh, partially I'm doing this because this is something I would teach at my table with my kids and I have. And also it's something I think is really important for the church. Um, tithing, number four, tithing is God's economic and wealth redistribution plan. Now, the government tries to do this and creates all sorts of entitlement issues, and it doesn't go well. We don't know how to do this very well. But God has done that historically. When Malachi uh, uh, prophesied and said, God says, bring in the tithe, there was a reason behind it. It serves the poor. It empowers the ministry. It provides opportunity for redemptive ceremonial uh, celebrations to remember what God has done. In Acts 4.34, look what it says. There was not a needy person among them. They weren't just tithing. They were sacrificially giving. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds that was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, here's the reality of what's going on. There is a tremendous amount of trust that has to go on if you're going to give and write a check. And recently I had a conversation with one of our supporters back in Little Rock. Uh, just so you know, for the first few years of the life of this church, which we're coming up on our four-year anniversary here in a few weeks, um, we raised 100-plus percent of our support from outside supporters so that we could fuel ministry here. And I asked a question to one of our big donors, and I said to him, I said, um, I just got to clarify, are you tithing to your local church back in Little Rock? And he said, oh, yeah, I am. I said, man, that's really generous of you to, to keep supporting our church. And I said, well, I just want you to honor that because that's your place of worship, and uh, we would sure love to keep uh, receiving your funds because we'll put them to good use, and God's at work here, and we just took on a nine-acre campus that we're renovating, and we still have the movie theater, so there's a lot of financial needs. And we want to continue not to let up and do mission work we sent we made a, made it a goal last year to help plant two churches in uh, unreached people groups in India and by God's grace, you guys gave so much we're planting ten uh, yeah you celebrate that that's right I mean i'm going I'm going uh, this next summer uh, Lord willing you pray for me and some of you guys want to go i 'm going to go to those unreached people groups in those villages and uh, see those kids um, you know, we sent a mission team to the Dominican Republic. We believe that tithing and giving is God's economic wealth redistribution plan. Some of you guys make six figures. Some of you guys are struggling to put six meals on the table. Uh, we have mercy money every month that goes out to people in need. And God's plan is that the church, local church, would be all the needs would be met. So if you're struggling to pay bills. Well, when you tithe and when you give, that person, that member can come forward to our leadership team, and we assist them. Every month, we have a ministry and a mercy fund, and people come forward, and there's hardly a month that goes by that we don't allocate that money to help take care of the needs right here. Uh, Tithing is God's economic and wealth redistribution plan. Uh, it has historically been that way. It was the way it was in the New Testament. It wasn't policy-driven in the New Testament. It was principle-driven. Uh, it's, it's voluntary, and it is to be free and uh, gracious and sacrificial. Look, the last point I want to make this morning is tithing often requires trust in the Holy Spirit's help for extraordinary provision. I asked a question to the donor back in Little Rock, is it hard for you to write the check? He said, oh yeah, every single month when I write that check and I give it, it's hard for me to to write that check and send it. I said, why do you keep doing it? And he says, because God just keeps blessing me. And I see as God keeps blessing me, it's raising my opportunity to give more, not just to get a better life and raise my standard of living. I love contributing to the kingdom. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 9:8. It says, And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. 2 Corinthians 9:8 says that. You know, this morning, what I want to do is I want to just take, tell one story, and then I'm going to uh, help you understand uh, some of the challenges that you might be facing and how to navigate through those by trusting the Lord more in the area of your uh, giving and, and trusting God with your finances. Uh, the first story is this, though. So the Bible talks about that God, God kind of like he will provide for you as you give. Um, again, I I would say I want to caution the idea that if you put $10 in the offering plate and expect $100 in return, be careful. God doesn't have to do anything. Um, God promises to bless you, and that might be an emotional blessing, a a, a physical blessing. It could be a spiritual blessing. In fact, in the New Testament, it's really interesting. 15% of Jesus' teaching was on money, and then he continued in the, the idea of the tithe. Uh, it was upheld by his, historical perspective, origin, Jerome, and St. Augustine. And they all testified that as people give, the God seems to reward. In fact, uh, Jesus promised it a hundred times more in heaven. So sometimes when you give and if you don't see a return, God's saying in heaven, I'll reward you. And in fact the scripture teaches that God will reward us with power in Luke 19, pleasure in Matthew 19:21, possessions in Psalms 16:11, that is in heaven not on earth. And then many times when you do give there is an opportunity where you experience God's supernatural financial provision. And that oftentimes happens. I'll tell you one story, and uh, I'll, I'll wrap up. But the story is this, is that uh, when Leslie and I first came out here to Phoenix, uh, we were courted, if you will, by a local church to uh, start start uh, the church. They said, we'll give you $30,000 if you work with us. And I did. We this was five, six years ago. We came out here, and I felt like it wasn't a good idea, and Leslie confirmed, no, we don't think it's a good idea. Sometimes when... Um, organizations give money, they strings attached. And I said, no, I don't think it's a good idea. I think we need to let it go. We didn't have any money at the time when we were coming out here. And uh, so to let that $30,000 go uh, was a big deal. We were not a funded organization, denomination like a lot of churches. And so everything was just uh, spirit-led, spirit-driven, people giving, serving, helping out where they could. So we turned down the $30,000, and then a year and a half later, I go into it, and I find out that there's this church called Scottsdale Bible Church, and they said that they met me, and they said, you've earned a reputation in the community, and we've heard about you, and we've been praying for uh, a team to help support. Um, And I said, great, that's amazing. And they said, we have this big fund, literally big fund, uh, and it's for church planting, and we want to help start a church in the North Valley. I was like, well, hey, now, this could be good. I said, well, how big is that fund? And they said, well, actually it's $300,000. And I said, man, that's a lot of money. And uh, the first question they said was, do you have any financial affiliations with any other group? Because if you do, we can't give that to you. And I said, by the grace of God, we do not. And they said, they reviewed it with their elder team It came home. And I talked to my wife and she said, you'll never believe it. But, uh, And uh, I I told her, I said, uh, they're committing to to give our church $300,000. And so we use that money to help uh, finance and fuel the missions and the ministry here. We use that money to help start churches. We use that money to set aside for one day God providing uh, an opportunity to buy land. We use that money to help support the pastoral and the ministry teams. And God's blessed it. So can God supernaturally provide? Absolutely, he can, and he often does. Here's what I want to do in our closing time. I'm going to walk down here. Some of you guys are wondering, what in the world are these uh, boards? Well, I just want to walk through just a moment. I know that as I was preaching this message, some of you guys are what I'm going to call like the pragmatic Pete. And you've got financial goals, and you want to pay off the house. You want to pay off the car. You want to pay off debt. You want to uh, just, you got a lot of financial goals. And you're saying to me, Ryan, that message on tithing's great and generous giving, and yeah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And you come every week, and you know, and Pete does this. Pete comes and he says, You know, I want God, I want you to take my sin, but don't take my money. Um, I want you to fill me up and make me encouraged and strong in my marriage and my faith, but don't mess with my money, God, because I need, I absolutely got, I got to have, God, I got to have 100% to get to A to B, and he's right. I mean, you really do. Like, if he's going to pay off his car, if he's going to pay down debt, if he's going to get his business where it needs to go, if he's going to get a 401k, you know, like, this is, it demands 100%. And then some of you guys are sitting here, and I'm going to say, you know, there's the same guy, just two rows back, heard the message today, and goes, uh, Charles, and he's committed in his faith. I mean, super committed in his faith. And he's trusted the Lord, and he sees that passage of Scripture. We'll pull it back up. Let me show you this passage in Scripture. And he reads this kind of verse in 2 Corinthians. Um, And it talks about trusting God and that God's going to supply. And Charles says, I'm committed in my faith, and I really do believe that God will provide in my life. And so, you know, I'm going to learn how to live on 90%. And I'll trust God with the 10%. And I think somehow it's going to work out. And you know what Pete says? Pete says, Charles, you are so crazy. You're crazy, how are you going to pay for your kids college? How are you going to pay down your debt? How are you going to how are you going to do all that? And Charles says the same thing to Pete. He says, "Pete, you're crazy. You come here week after week, you you hear about the grace of God, you 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 trust him with your marriage, you trust him, you ask him to take over your marriage, to help you with this, help you with that. It's very clearly taught in scripture. You're crazy." So, there's kind of a crazy conversation going on. And Charles thinks Pete's crazy and Pete thinks Charles is crazy. So, you know, one of the questions I'm going to ask you this year is, which kind of crazy are you going to be? Are you going to be Pete crazy or Charles crazy? You know, from God's perspective, he goes, I own everything. Would you trust me? See, the cool thing is, if you live on the Charles plan, the really cool thing, and I'm telling you, I believe, just let me talk to you as a friend for a moment. I really believe that God does what that word says, and God will generously provide all you need, and then you'll always have everything you need. It says everything you need, not every greed, right? Everything you need, plenty left over so you can share with others. Why? Because God wants to use you to bless other people. That's what happened in the New Testament church. And so the cool thing is, is if you're on the Charles plan, and a lot of you guys are, you know, the awesome thing is, you, you tell me, and I've seen it, and I just told you a story. God takes you to C. He takes you to extraordinary provisions. When I said tithing often requires trust. Some of you can give far beyond the tithe, but tithing often requires trust that the Holy Spirit provides extraordinary provisions. So story after story, when you live on God's plan, He doesn't take you from A to B. I'm sorry, He takes you to C. There's just things that happen that provide. God does a great work. Why? Because he's after trust. The whole thing in the Christian life, I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to come up. The whole whole thing in the Christian life is that we learn to trust God. So this morning on Arizona uh, Republic, there was the front page and talking about fear. We live in a fear-based culture. Politics is playing on fear right now. The papers play on fear That is not going to be the spirit of this church. That is not going to be the spirit of this Christian community in the North Valley. A spirit of fear, but a spirit of faith and trust that God's in control. God's good at the end of the day. And I want to encourage you to take your next step in trusting God. A lot of you are terrified and afraid. And the reason why you're terrified and afraid is probably because you've never gotten on God's plan in the first place. You don't understand the 10-10-80 rule. So I want to invite you to do this. Ask the Holy Spirit today, what's the next step that you need to become a crazy, generous contributor to God's work? Because I promise you, if you get on Charles's plan, there'll be plenty of Pete's that say, you are totally crazy. This year, you're going to have to make that decision. What kind of crazy are you going to be? Ask a few questions. Ask this, what do I need to stop doing? What do I need to stop? Maybe some of you are way overspending and you're acting like you're the CEO and you own everything. You need to realize that you're God's money manager. He wants to use you and work through you. Ask the question, what do I need to keep doing? Some of you are doing a great work. You're really handling your money well and you keep doing that. And then some of you ask the question, Holy Spirit, what do I I start doing different? What do I start brand new? For some of you in the area of giving, you're in the nothing category. In fact, 45% of of the adults that attend North Valley don't give anything. And if you're in that category, I'd say start trusting God, ask the Holy Spirit. Just ask the Holy Spirit today, Holy Spirit, what would you have me do? Should I stay in the nothing category or should I contribute into the something category? Some of you guys are in the something category and you contribute something every week. And when I first became a Christian, it was like I was a tipper. I just tipped God, hey, here's a few bucks, God. And then over time, God began to get a hold of my heart, and I began to see this clarity of Scripture. And I said, I'm going to trust you a lot more. And so every year, my wife and I try to, move, to increase our standard of giving, not our standard of living. And so it could be a percentage point. Some of you need to move from the something category to the significant category. So this morning, would you stand up? We're going to sing together, Holy Spirit, come fill this place. I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit, God, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use my my resources? Christina, will you sing and will you lead us in worship? Let's continue to worship. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.